Welcome to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Your host, Jesse Jameson, has a real treat for you. You are about to hear a great story. And if Jesse brings his A-game, some good commentary too. And later on, we'll let you know how you can join Jesse as a guest. Now, without further ado, here's Jesse. Welcome back to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Today's friend is Lisa from Marysville. And the title of Lisa's story is 2020 Best Year Ever. No, seriously. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us on Jesse Jameson and Friends. I haven't seen you in so long, and it's so great to see you. I hope you're staying warm out there in, in Michigan. Um, the floor is yours. Tell us your story. Okay, well, um, thank you for giving me this opportunity to speak. Um, I'd start by saying that in my early 20s, um, I found out that I was born with only one kidney, and that kidney I had was failing. So my doctors told me that eventually I was going to need a kidney transplant, but it was kind of wait and see. Well, you know, just kind of wait for that other shoe to fall. Um, fast forward I don't know, many years, um, about four and a half years ago, um, at a visit with my doctor, he said, okay. Um, it's time to get you, you know, through the process, get you listed for a kidney, and we need to start dialysis. So I started that process and um, began dialysis, which, for those of you who don't know, is a horrible, horrible thing, but it's the only thing that keeps you alive. Um, you know, you go into a room full of people who are very sick and ill, and you have the same group every time. You go three days a week. You're there four hours or so. You're with the same group every time. And, you know, you never know if the next day you go in, someone's going to be missing because they're no longer with us. Um, you know, kidney disease is just one of those things that you don't know what's going to happen. So, um, you know, two and a half years. Hey, Lisa, dia dialysis, for those that don't know, it, it's kind of like a filtering and a cleaning of sorts, right? They use a machine that kind of works and functions as an external kidney, or, or can you give us a little breakdown for those that don't know? Yes, that's correct. Um, I've always referred to it as an oil change for my body. Um, you know, it filters your blood through a machine because the kidneys can't do it any longer. So... Um, trying to remember I think you know during a four-hour period your blood is run through this machine like can't even remember it's like 60 or 80 times or something so it's quick um, but the process is very draining I unfortunately you know lost all my energy and strength during that time um, and most people who are in dialysis are older I was one of the youngest in my clinic um, but, you know, they said that gave me a better hope of getting a kidney sooner. The kidney transplant wait list here in Michigan um, was seven years when I started this. Um, they say that's the approximate time it takes you, it takes them to find a matching kidney for you. Um, I got mine sooner, thankfully. But, you know, after two and a half years on dialysis, I was just, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't go grocery shopping you know, I couldn't take my kids to do fun things because I just didn't have any energy left. And the kidney transplant came at the right time for me. 
um, it was January 4th this year. Does that seem really unfair that everybody in your group was kind of older or most, and you're kind of this young girl? Did you kind of have some troubles with, I don't, I don't know if you're a believer or have faith, but I'd imagine if you did, there's probably some times where, you know, you might have a little argument or two with the Lord. Um, were you having any of these woe is me type moments, which I, I, I think you can validate that based on, you know, your young age at the time. Uh, what, what was going through your mind and was it affecting your relationship at the time? I tried my hardest to be positive through everything. Um, you know, every morning I could wake up and put my feet on the floor and start my day was a good day in my mind. Um, cause the alternative was just too much for me to even think about. Um, I won't tell you that I didn't have bad days cause I had some really bad days too. Um, in this, in order to do dialysis, you have to have an access point. So initially you're started with a catheter in your chest, um, so that they can hook up the machines and they attempt surgically to create a graft or a fistula in your arm usually to access your blood. What is a fistula um, or, or, or what is that exactly? It's essentially they create a bigger vessel because the needles for dialysis are so much bigger than a standard needle. Um, and the flow is so high, you have to have a bigger needle for the blood to move through. So you can't just stick a dialysis needle into a regular vein. It has to be, you know, they have to create a bigger vessel for you. Um, so surgically, in a year and a half, I went through over 30 surgeries, which was, of course, taxing on my body, taxing on my spirit, taxing on my faith. Um, you know, I don't know if anyone can imagine that, but there were some days I had two surgeries in one day. You know, we'd get to the waiting room and find out that, oh, this graft that they just put into my arm didn't work. So we're just going to swing you right back through again and try it again or clean it out and try it. And through all of this, I found out that I have an, un, they have it an un, unnamed um, blood clotting disorder, something that hasn't been, I guess, discovered yet. So there was no way for them to medically fix it so that my blood would stop clotting in these access points. Um, so I spent two and a half years with a chest catheter in. So with the chest catheter, you can't get it wet. It goes directly to your heart. So there's too much of a risk for infection. So you can't get it wet. So for two and a half years, I'm washing my hair in the sink, you know, showering, but not fully being able to shower, um, not being able to swim in the pool with the kids or take them to the beach. So it was, it was quite an adjustment for me and I hated every second of it. Not going to lie. <laughs> it really was horrible. When I was in my twenties, one of my bosses was on dialysis and he was constantly chewing ice, little ice chips. Um, he told me he couldn't drink, but a couple of ounces or something like that per day or what have you. And we live in this world where we're constantly told that we're dehydrated and we should be drinking eight to 10 cups or glasses of water a day. It, it doesn't really work that way when you have kidney issues, right? I mean, are you literally right? One of the problems with one of the problems with the kidney failure is that your blood can't filter out that excess water. So it gathers in your body. A lot of people have, you know, problems swelling in their legs and ankles. Um, so, on dialysis, you're told not to exceed a certain amount of liquid per day, whether it be soup, water, 
coffee, whatever it is, you know, you have to watch, even a popsicle is considered a liquid. So you have to watch everything that goes into your mouth. So a lot of people will chew on ice chips um, because they last longer, but they kind of help to quench that thirst. So that's why that was happening. I didn't really have to watch that as much. I'm not sure why, but they never told me to watch my intake, I guess, because I didn't have any problems with the swelling and the excess water gain that a lot of people have. So, um, so let's go back before then, because that happened in your, you found out in your 20s, but you end up going through this transplant situation in your mid-30s. You have a two and a half year stint on dialysis, but you recently on Facebook have been showing beautiful pictures of you and your husband, um, but he wasn't necessarily your husband back in your 20s or 30s, right? He's a new man in your life. You, were, you had kids, though. How did dialysis maybe affect relationships with, you know, husband and, and family, if, if at all, besides the not being able to swim and, and what have you? Yes, um, I was just married this year in April um, to my third husband. Yes, third, <laughs> third and final. Um, but I've known him for five years. So he was with me through this whole journey. And he has been a saint. Um, you know, he stepped in and helped me when some people would have just turned and walked away like, oh, this is too much work. Um, but he stuck with me and helped me through everything. Emotionally, um, you know, physical stuff as far as helping pick up my kids and get them where they need to be. And financially, you know, he never backed down and he was always there. And, you know, I can't ever thank him enough for that because I know that my ex-husbands would have never been able to deal with that. It was a lot for him. Um, my relationship with my kids, I was more worried. I didn't want their childhood memories to be mom was always sick. So I got really good at putting on a false smile and pretending everything was okay and going to all their games and competitions and school events and not letting it out that something was seriously wrong. Um, there were a couple times I came home from surgery, got home in the afternoon, went straight to my son's football game or a swim meet, um, you know, straight from the hospital. And I did that because of that reason. I didn't want him to have, you know, oh, mom was never there because she was always sick and in the hospital or, you know, she never felt good. I don't want my kids growing up with that as the only memory of me. So when you say this, you're kind of sounding like somebody that you didn't know almost if you were going to live or not, because, you know, you're going through these, um, you're going through these dialysis uh, meetings with primarily older people, but you even said yourself that I guess it's not an uncommon thing to notice that people in the group are missing. When you have kids, you know, you really want to see them graduate, you know, not only high school, but college. You want to see grandchildren and stuff. Was this kind of the first time in your life you were having thoughts of, you know, peril or thoughts of your mortality? It was. I actually met with a lawyer to draw up my, you know, my living will and my <clears throat> power of attorneys and everything, which I think for someone who's, you know, I was mid thirties when I did that. And I don't think that's a very common thing for someone in their mid thirties to do, but I felt that it needed to be done to make sure that if something did happen, my family didn't need to deal with the stress of, you know, what's going to happen to this or that, or, you know, how is everything going to be handled? Cause it's all right there. I, I 
you know, listed my medical power of attorney and I had a backup just in case, you know, you get, you have to prepare. And yeah, it's not normal for someone even our age now to go through all that. I don't think, um, but sometimes you just have to take what's given to you and make the best of it. And that's what I've done. So you, you're seeing the world through your glasses, but did you have any situations where the kids were feeling depressed or blue? I mean, you know, I'd imagine they love their mommy very much. If you know your mom is sick, uh, I'd imagine it puts some undue pressure on the schoolwork and, and, and what have you. Did, 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 how did they handle it? Um, they were pretty good with it. Uh, my son did never really, he's a very kind soul. And so he was always, you know, he'd come home from school and say, mom, what can I do to help you? What can I do around the house to help you out? So you don't have to do it. And, you know, my daughter is very independent. She's a very independent young woman, just like I have always been. So, and I know she cares, but she's not good at conveying those feelings I don't think but and you know I think as you go on you know by the time you reach like your 15th 20th surgery it's just like oh mom's going to the hospital again she's going to be fine and they tend to not worry about it as much how many, and dialysis, surgery, how many surgeries do you think you have had because I was not expecting you to say 15 or 20 it sounds like you've had quite a few do you know a number um, I had over 30 in a year and a half time span um, it's been so, more than that so where the average person's going to McDonald's twice a month or whatever, you're doing surgeries twice a month or at exactly. least one and a half times. That must be very, very stressful. Is it hard to, it, keep, is it hard to keep an empl employment through that, or were you lucky with the jobs that you've had? Were, were the bosses uh, understanding? I was lucky with my employer. Um, I was able to work from home a lot, which was very helpful. Um, but eventually it got to the point last year in May where I had to say, you know, I'm not benefiting the company right now. And they kind of agreed. Um, you know, they said, you know, that when you get your transplant, come back to us. If there's anything open, you're definitely welcome back. But unfortunately there wasn't. So I'm still out of work at this point. Um, yeah, they were very supportive, but I work for a health insurance company. So, you know, they kind of know the background and how things work. So might be a little different for other people. I don't know, but they were supportive. You know, anytime I needed time off, whether for me or for the kids, they not a problem. Go take care of what you need to take care of. And, you know, the work will be here when you get back kind of thing. So in that regard, you had blessings. You had people that knew what you were going through and you had, it sounds like a team, not only at home, but it sounds like you've got good friends that really cared as well. Um, can you tell us how you met your husband and maybe give, give everybody his, just his first name? Um, his name is Kevin, and we met online. Um, I wasn't necessarily looking to meet someone, but it just happened, and he is like my other half. Um, you know, he's the first person that I've ever been with where I can be 100% myself. You know, I'll walk out of the room singing off key, dancing some silly dance, and instead of, like, saying, gosh, what's wrong with you? He'll just join right in, you know? And he's brought so much into my life. I can't be thankful enough. 
including his two kids to add to my two. So, you know, we have a full house. I was just going to say, you got a little full house or Brady Bunch growing there. Are, are, do you get along with his children and does he get along with yours? Is, is everything cool? Um, pretty much for the most part. Um, I'm pretty close with his son. Um, his daughter's moved out now. She's 20, so um, she's not here as much. So, um, But we've always gotten along for the most part. My son and Kevin kind of butt heads a lot. I think my son thought he was the man of the house. And, you know, after Kevin came along, he kind of lost that role. And, you know, you try to explain to a 16-year-old, well, you know, you never really were the man of the house. You were helpful, and I appreciate that. But, you know, you can't do the things that he can do for me, such as, you know, help pay bills and, you know, help with other things around the house that you're unable to do. Lisa, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to rejoin the story with Lisa. So everybody, uh, stay tuned. Would you like to host your own radio show? Jesse Jameson is an executive producer with the Voice America Talk Radio Network, the leader in live and on-demand internet talk radio. Jesse serves as executive producer to over a dozen shows on our network. If you'd like to connect with Jesse to be a guest on a show, do some advertising, or even want to talk about hosting your very own show, give him a call at 480-553-5719 or email him at jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's 480-553-5719 or email jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. When it comes to financial planning, most of us would probably rather have a root canal. Math, budgets, keeping ourselves and our loved ones secure after retirement, planning for retirement, risk, reward, and the like. How do you find the answers you need? Tune into Fiscal Fitness with John Grace and co-host Daniel Medina. They'll help you feel more secure in your investments and your future. Listen every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. There are lots of unanswered questions about life's problems, and this is especially true about spiritual life. Why can't we see God? Why is there evil in this world? Why does God let bad things happen to us and to others? Can we get divine help? Join Carl Mollison and co-host Brian Kelly for Get Wisdom. They have new answers from the Almighty you need to hear, and listening could definitely change your life. Tune in every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Are you tired of feeling disconnected and shut down? Since every choice has ripple effects, lasting happiness is a product of the choices we make each day. Tune in to Rise and Shine, not just for mornings anymore. Lori Ann Rising and Uncle Mark Olmsted introduced you to authors, musicians, artists, and innovators, all actively engaged in designing a world that works for everyone. Make sure you're along for the ride, Tuesdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. For tuning in to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Do you have a super short story that you'd like to have Jesse read on the show? Simply email him. You ready? It's jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. And who knows? Jesse might just read your short story on a future show. And now, back to Jesse Jameson and Friends. 
welcome back. We're with Lisa. So, Lisa, you just meet this great guy. He brings in his kids to the bunch. Your kids um, are, are enjoying the new family, but your son was having a little bit of pre-apprehensions because he didn't want to lose control of, you know, the man role of the house. But ultimately, did your son and him end up kind of bonding, um, or is there still some grief there? There's still a little bit of issue there, um, but... My son is a stubborn 16-year-old man, so young man. Um, he is set in his ways, and Kevin tries. You know, they do things together. They go golfing together or fishing together. So, you know, they work on that bond, and I hope that they'll continue to do that for my sake because it's, it's not fun for me when there's arguing going on between the two of them. Um, my daughter likes him just fine, you know. He's always helped them out, getting them where they need to be, taking them to friends' houses. You know, now my son's 16, so he can take himself wherever he wants. But um, before that, you know, pick me up here, take me there, drop me off there. My kids are very active, so trying to keep up with their schedules is a lot. <coughs> Excuse me. Are there sick days um, for you? In other words, before you're waiting for a transplant, you're on a waiting list. It can take up to seven, eight years, you're saying, right? Sometimes longer for people, I'd imagine. What happens when you get sick compared to, like, let's say when a healthier person gets sick? Do you really, really get sick? Like, if, if you have the flu, does it just really wreak havoc? Or um, other than the kidney ailment, were you pretty healthy? I am pretty healthy other than that. Um, you know, when I say I have a bad day or when I said I had a bad day before a transplant, it was just, I didn't have the energy to get myself out of bed or, you know, I'd go sitting in a family room with the family and I couldn't stay awake because it was just so draining on me. Other than that, I think I was pretty lucky as far as illness goes. So that's a good thing. So describe the waiting. I assume to get a kidney, you have to literally wait till someone perishes in a car accident and an organ donor. Is there something kind of sobering and sad and about that thought or, or did that not really enter your mind too much? It definitely entered my mind and I'm actually going through counseling right now because I do have what they call survivor's remorse. That in order for me to live a normal life, somewhat normal life, somebody else had to die. And I don't know anything about my donor other than it was a fairly young person um, who was in tip top, excellent shape when they perished. Um, so yeah, I, I have a lot of guilt with that. And, you know, I want to sit down and write a letter to the donor's family, but it's so hard to put into words how you're feeling about that. Like I haven't, I've started the letter like 15 times, but to finish it, um, I'm just having a really rough time with it. I want them to know that their family member did not die for nothing. You know, I'm going to put this kidney, I'm going to use this kidney to spread goodness. You know, I'm not going to use it for, I don't know, I'm not going to misuse or, you know, I'm going to take care of it. You know, in order for someone to become an organ donor, they have to check a box, you know, when they go for their license, right, for their motor vehicle license. And so the good news is at least you knew that whoever did perish uh, to give you their kidney, at least you knew it was something that they did of sober mind. They weren't forced to do it. It's not like somebody abducted their kidney. 
they knew that if they went, you know, God knows we need their organs here, you know. Um, so in regard, in that regards, I think organ donation is about the most beautiful thing a person can do. Um, what do you have to tell maybe some of our listeners at home about organ donation? Do you do you think about it a lot more now than maybe you did when we were in our teens or twenties? I have always, ever since I turned sixteen, checked that box to be an organ donor. Um, I never had anybody that I knew that had been through that, but I had read stories about you know transplants and and how they work and how many organs are actually needed across the country. Um, so I myself have always been an organ donor, and I can't stress enough. Like, if you take them with you, what good is that? You know, you're not using them anymore. Let's give them to somebody who needs them, and keep somebody alive. You know, yes, I'm sorry you passed, but maybe this person can live because you check that box. Um, you know, even now I'm still listed as a kidney donor. And when I took my son to get his license, when he was six, turned 16, he said, is it okay if I do the organ donation? I said, of course, you know, why would I say no? I am glad and I'm proud that he did that. Um, you know, it's, it doesn't take anything for you to, to give that gift of life. And that's what it truly is. It's a gift of life. Lisa, you said earlier you were born only with one kidney. Is that a common thing? That sounds almost alien to me. I assumed you were in shock when you found out you only had one, right? I was definitely in shock. I had gone into the emergency room um, for what we thought was a gallbladder attack. And they were doing an ultrasound. And the, the radiology tech said, oh. And I was like, what? And he was like, nothing. And he was like, oh, oh. And I was like, what is wrong? And he said, how long have you been without a kidney? And I said, what are you talking about? He said, you only have a right kidney. And I said, I had no idea. So I left the hospital having issues with my gallbladder, but more worried so about the fact that I only had one kidney because I know that, you know, people are born with two. Um, and I guess technically I was born with two, but one never developed from infancy for, for whatever reason. They, they don't know still. Um, so... It left me with one viable kidney. When your son's asking you if it's okay if he becomes a, a, an organ donor, do you think there was a little piece of him that was wondering if he maybe had any kidney issues? And is there, do you ever think, I wonder if my kids are 100% uh, in the clear with regards to your condition? I don't think my son's ever worried about himself. You know, he's a healthy, healthy kid and, you know, he's never had any problems. Uh, my daughter is adopted, so she wouldn't have gotten that from me, that's for sure. Um, but again, she's healthy. They don't, they, I don't think kids think about stuff like that, to be honest. I don't think, mine don't, that's for sure. So I don't think I would have at that age either. Can you tell us a little bit about the email or phone call you get, uh, maybe even at two or three in the morning to say, hey, we've got a kidney for you, uh, and what's that like? I'd imagine that's kind of like winning a lottery that you don't necessarily feel 100% good about. Yeah, I've actually gotten two calls. The first time they called me, and it was, it was like two o'clock in the morning. And they always said, you know, keep your phone with you, answer numbers, even if you don't know what they are, because it could be us. And sure enough, it was the University of Michigan calling, telling me that they had a kidney um, that I was third in line for. 
So if it wasn't um, a good match for the other two people ahead of me, then it would have come to me. Um, but they called me the next day and told me, sorry, but the kidney wasn't viable once we got in there to remove it. So, you know, got my hoax all up for nothing. The second call was January 2nd, <clears throat> just kind of hanging around. We were redoing the family room, you know, painting and um, we had just gotten, or we were in the middle of getting new flooring in and uh, my phone rang and I answered it. And again, it was the University of Michigan saying, you know, we have a kidney, your um, first choice. So what they do is they, they call like the top three people on the list. And then there's a first kidney or there's a first recipient with choice. And then a second gets what's left. So basically if one of the kidneys was slightly damaged or something wasn't quite right with it, then I would get the better one. And the second person would be able to choose. Yeah, I'll take that slightly damaged kidney or nah, I think I'll pass. And if they pass, then it would go to that third person. Um, thankfully I was first in line now. So, um, you know, she said, the person hasn't actually passed away yet. They're here in the hospital and we're expecting it to happen. Lisa, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you're moving, you're touching your hand on your phone. And all we hear is your hand touching your phone. Is there a way you can maybe set it down uh, flat? So here's yes. the thing that you said that blew me away. I'm waiting for a kidney. I get a phone call at three in the morning and there's a chance they say, hey, we got a so-so kidney here. It's a little messed up. That must be a really weird decision. Do I go for this knowing that there might not be another chance? What are the dangers with going with a, with a messed up kidney as, as, as your replacement? Well, it depends. Um, you know, the doctors will tell you exactly what it is that's wrong with that kidney and what may happen if you take it. Um, you know, um, you know, if it's damaged, okay, we'll, we can transplant this kidney into you, but maybe it won't last as long or maybe, um, I don't know, you know, it, it could be any number of things. I never got that chance. Thankfully, um, you know, it, they knew ahead of time that it wasn't a good choice or a good option. So it wasn't even technically available to me at that point. Um, but with the second one, they said it was a perfectly healthy young person who was still technically alive. So they couldn't, they didn't have me start my trip there because the hospital is like an hour and a half away. So um, wait by the phone. We'll give you a call with an update in a few hours. And they did, they called and they said, well, at this point, we're still not sure. And this was all on January 2nd. It wasn't until January 3rd at night and probably like nine o'clock when they called me um, and said, okay, you need to be here at, 6 a.m. tomorrow. Um, looks like it's going to be yours. So I do that. I go to the hospital. I get there 6 a.m. I get all checked in. I get in my room and they come to me and they say, well, he still hasn't, or they still, this person still hasn't passed away. So we're not even sure right now for certain if this is going to work. So you then know, I'm Lisa, left. I, I, again, I apologize for interrupting you, but God, it must be such a, a, a double-edged sword because obviously you want this nice, pristine, young man's kidney. But at the same time, it's like you know his family is probably right there you know, in the waiting room 
hoping to God for a miracle. Um, that must just be very sobering. So in that regard, organ donation just, it really does pull on the heartstrings of all parties involved. Um, I, I think that the reason that you have some survivor's guilt or whatever you called it, I think it's just because you've got a really good heart, Lisa. Um, when I knew you in high school, it's not like you and I were best friends, but you always seemed very kind. You cared about teachers and fellow students. And I'd like to think that that good karma came back to a wonderful person. So that's how I feel about it. But again, I think I'd be going through the same things you are. I think I would definitely have some, some guilt associated with moving on, knowing that this beautiful young man is no longer going forward, you know? Yeah, I, you know, I sat in my hospital room all day thinking, okay, somewhere within these walls, the family that is mourning a loss or a potential loss. They're just waiting for that, that to happen. They know it's imminent. So <clears throat> knowing that some family is in here ready to lose somebody they love, but I'm going to have a part of that person within me. It's just kind of weird. So it was five o'clock in the evening when they finally came to me and said, okay, or it was, it was about four 30. I'm sorry. They came to me and said, all right, Surgery's at five. Let's get you down to the to the surgical suite. And I was like, wow, we went from not knowing and waiting all day to okay, it's time for surgery. They so, you know, they, they cut me do it quick, right? There's only a certain window, right? It's gotta be done quick. And is it a dangerous surgery for you? It's obviously not dangerous for the person that's already perished, right? But for you, is there is there a mortality chance in the surgery? There is with any surgery. Um, it's very minimal. Um, it's a fairly uh, normal surgery, I guess. I guess not normal, but, um, you know, when you go to a hospital like University of Michigan and they specialize in transplants, you have faith that the doctors know what they're doing. And, you know, you just, you have to have faith. And by this time I had been through so many surgeries my mind is kind of like, oh, it's just another surgery. So the nurses are asking, are you ready? And I said, let's get this over with. Let's go. And they were like, wow, I've never seen someone so excited to go to surgery. And I said, well, you know what? This is what I need. So let's do it. Um, yeah, so they got me all ready for surgery. My mom walked down with me. My husband wasn't there yet because, um, as I said earlier, we were having new flooring installed and the installers were still at the house. So he was waiting for someone to come and sit with the installers so he could leave to get to the hospital. And he was there when I woke from surgery. Um, it was a lengthy surgery. Um, it started at five and I think it was 1030 before I woke up, um, before I was woken up. So, um, you know, it's a lengthy procedure. And when you wake up from any surgery, you're a little disoriented. But then I was like feeling kind of weird. Like I have somebody else's body part inside of my body right now. <laughs> that is a weird feeling. I'm going to ask you some goofy questions when we get back from the break. But we have about a minute left. When you wake up, are you looking forward to having your first tall glass of water or coffee? I mean, have you been jonesing for liquids for the past couple years at this point? No, what I was actually looking forward to was a shower, <laughs> you know, being able to take an actual shower. 
um, was what I was really looking forward to. Yeah. So part of the surgery is them removing that cat, that, what do you call it? A catheter or a, a yeah, the catheter. Okay. So part of, part of the surgery was them also removing that or did that come a little bit later? That came a little bit later, but I knew it was coming now. That's all that mattered. <laughs> In a weird way, that's kind of like getting your braces off when you're a teenager, right? And you get teeth, you know, braces on your teeth and all of a sudden that comes off because that thing just must have been, were you self-conscious about it? Did it kind of make a bump on your t-shirt? Was it easily noticed? Yeah, it, it you know, I, I've always been a little self-conscious since this whole thing started. My, my arms are covered in scars, um, which are hard to hide. And actually, one of the surgeries, there was a fire in the operating room, and they burned my arm pretty good. So, um, yeah, you know, I've always been self-conscious. But this scar, no one's ever going to see it because it's – they actually put the new kidney, kidney in your belly instead of where your kidneys are naturally located, which is in your lower back. Um, because they don't take out the old one. They leave the old one there. So they just kind of shove it into the front where they can find some room in there. We're going to take a quick break, and then when we get back, we're going to finish this wonderful story of hope and inspiration with Lisa. We'll be right back. Would you like to host your own radio show? Jesse Jameson is an executive producer with the Voice America Talk Radio Network, the leader in live and on-demand internet talk radio. Jesse serves as executive producer to over a dozen shows on our network. If you'd like to connect with Jesse to be a guest on a show, do some advertising, or even want to talk about hosting your very own show, give him a call at 480-553-5719 or email him at jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's 480-553-5719 or email jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. Have you ever been interested in technology or the application? Technology is always changing, and there is definitely a place for you in it. Listen for Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. Sharon and her guests teach you the skill set and present resources that help you incorporate and enhance technological know-how in your current career, as well as prepare you for future success. Listen every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. In business, many leaders have a great vision but find their companies are lacking adequate execution. Transformative Experts with host Chris Elias takes you behind the scenes with real-life business leaders and transformative experts who can pinpoint why. Listen to learn how company culture drives execution to optimize results. How can you afford to miss it? Tune in live every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. for tuning in to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Do you have a super short story that you'd like to have Jesse read on the show? Simply email him. You ready? It's jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. And who knows? Jesse might just read your short story on a future show. And now, back to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Everybody wants to know. You've got somebody else's kidney in you. Like you said, you woke up thinking there's somebody else's organ inside my body. Did you all of a sudden start craving camels or marbles or, or a scotch? 
<laughs> people have somebody's body part in them. They all of a sudden get weird cravings or thoughts or what have you. Did you have anything bizarre happen that your friends here in Arizona where I am would love to, to know about? Um, I don't think so. Um, I mean, I have been having weird food cravings. Maybe it's from the kidney, maybe not. I don't know. Um, but my thing right now is Cheetos and peanut butter cups. That's I can't get enough. <laughs> hey, Lisa, that definitely sounds like the diet of a young guy. So let me let me ask you this. What about dreams and stuff? Because I'm one of these guys, I, I can never remember a dream for the life of me. Do you dream a lot? And do you ever kind of vision this angelic guy in your dreams or what have you? I don't. I'm not much of a dreamer. Or if I am, I don't remember. So I... You know, I'm I'm absolutely clueless as to what this person was like, or you know, anything. Um, I like I said, I want to write a letter thanking the family, which may get me more information on the person. But at the same time, I just don't know what to say. What do you say? Thank you. I thank you isn't just just isn't enough. You know. No, and I think that's wonderful that you know it's not. Um, like I said, you have empathy uh, for others, and I think there's some human beings that are lacking that. Um, back to that other goofy question I asked, do you enjoy a, a, a Starbucks coffee now, or do you, uh, do you enjoy a tall glass of Coca-Cola or even you know, a bottled water? And Are those things that you really appreciate more than maybe the average person does? Um, pretty much, yeah. Any, any, you know, any beverage. And one thing you don't know uh, most people don't know about people with renal failure is you because because your kidney isn't filtering you're not making urine so like I went like a year and a half without having to pee and once you start you're like yay I peed and it's, it's like the most exciting point in your life you know um, but hard to get used to again I used to you know enjoy not having to pee because I could go forever and be just fine. But now it's back. Yeah, if you go cross country and, and come back to Arizona, you know, taking a, a nice 12 or 14 hour car ride, you, you're saying you can make it the whole way without having to leak. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> <laughs> it is, but it's not normal. So if you can do that, there might be a problem. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> By the way, um, other than this, has your health been pretty decent, or do you have any other issues that kind of compound, uh, or are right now, are you pretty healthy? I am healthy now. Um, you know, COVID brought on a whole new aspect to everything. They actually stopped doing transplants at the beginning when COVID first started. So I'm thankful I was able to get my transplant when I did. Um, otherwise, it might not have happened yet. Um, but, you know, I have to be careful because I have to take immunosuppressants so that my body doesn't try to reject this kidney from somebody else. Um, and those immunosuppressants suppress my immune system, which make me more success, susceptible to illness. So, you know, I carry a mask with me everywhere I go. I've got hand sanitizer everywhere. You know, it's just, it's scary thinking that something like that could take me out, basically. Does it upset you? Because it upsets me when I see people like at a Target or a Walmart and they have a mask on, but they have their nose popped out of it. And it's just like, come on, you, you might as well not even be wearing a mask. Do, do, do you have those feelings or do you really try to avoid 
the grocery store and the targets and the Walmarts? Um, I, in the beginning, I was really, I didn't leave the house. You know, the kids would go to their dads for the weekend and come home. And I'd be like, shower first thing before you do anything. Love you guys, but take a shower because their dad's fiance works in a hospital. So I was always worried about her bringing it home. And then we got to a point where he said, well, why don't you just keep the kids? They don't need to come visit for a while, you know, just for my health sake. Um, So they stopped going to see their dad for, I think it was a good month. They didn't go see their dad. Um, But then I start feeling guilty about that because then he's missing out on his time with the kids. So we let them go back to their dads and, you know, it's still first thing when you get home, wash your hands, hand sanitizer, take a shower, you know, wash your clothes, take all the precautions you can. At the beginning, I wasn't going anywhere and I was starting to go stir crazy. Um, So, you know, my husband would come home from work and say, you look like you're, you need to get out of the house. Uh, Yeah, I do because I haven't left in, you know, two weeks. We'd just take a drive. You know, we live on the Great Lakes. So, um, you know, we just drive along the coast of Lake Huron and, you know, look at the water, which is always soothing and calming to me. And it wasn't until just a month and a half or so ago when I started going to the grocery stores and stores again. So I'm loosening up a little myself, but you know, that thought's always in my mind still. And then I see people, like you said, with not wearing masks or wearing them improperly where they're not going to do any good. And it really gets to me. It does. Um, You know, Lisa, if you ask them, They'll tell you, well, I can't breathe with this thing on. And it's like, well, guess what COVID's going to do? <laughs> COVID's going to make it where you can't breathe, period. Put exactly. Thing over your nose because, and if you're listening to this and, and you're one of the uh, my audience members that does this, where I call it a cheating mask, where you're covering your mouth but not your nose, just know you're actually part of the problem. And, and that's just me being real. I never say it to anybody because I've never been that type, Lisa. But I see probably four out of ten people at the grocery store or Walmart, and they have their nose popping out the top. And it's just like you could literally kill somebody. You know, why wear a mask if you're not going to wear it properly? That's my thought. You know, you see the ones driving around in the car by themselves with the mask on. If you're going into a store, the least you could do is put a mask on. It's not It's not going to hurt you. Um, you know, and if you have one of the breathing conditions, get a face shield because, you know, they're not as enclosed and they allow you to breathe easier. I walk around blind half the time because I have my glasses on and the mask and my glasses fog up and then I can't see anything anyway, but I still wear it, you know, because it's not, you know, everybody's so, I don't know, it's all about them. How about we think about other people? I have a 91-year-old grandma that I like to visit and, um, you know, I would hate to take anything to her. I think that, well, I, I guess I just wear your damn masks. That's, <laughs> that's all I can say. <laughs> Lisa, you and I have something in common. I have a 96-year-old grandmother that is basically my favorite person on earth. And every day that, um, that I go out and about, that's, that's part of the reason I wear that mask religiously. And I don't mess with it. I see people scratching their nose and stuff. I will do the most weird facial contortions so I don't have to touch my face. Because I would feel bad for the rest of my life if I took even one day away from my grandmother's life. 
same with my mom or any family member. Um, I guess what makes me uh, unique is that I would never want to take anybody else's family member either. So I can promise all of America, you ever see me out and about at the store, you will see that mask on above my nose and mouth. And I'm, I'm not a huge mask guy. In other words, if you're taking a walk uh, in your neighborhood and no one's around, I don't care if you have it on or off. But when you literally do go into places uh, like these rallies that I saw for Trump, and I'm not an anti-Trumper by any means, but God, how can you sit there next to multiple people of various age groups and not put on a mask? I, I, I just don't, I, I, I can't fathom that. Yeah, you know, my son plays football and I and they have to wear masks during practice during games. If he can get out there and play football with a mask on, you can use one to walk around the grocery store. That's kind of how I look at it. Yeah, and if you're walking around the grocery store, compare that to your son's football practice. It's nothing. You need to learn how to relax and breathe through your nose a little better if you can't breathe just while you're walking around the grocery store. Now, there's going to be somebody out there that writes me an email that says, hey, I have breathing problems, and I, I'm one of those people that doesn't have to wear a mask. Well, obviously, we're not talking about you. You know, if we only had the one out of 100 that couldn't wear a mask, not wear a mask, it wouldn't be a big deal. But I see four out of 10 people not wearing a mask properly. Yeah, it's a problem. It's definitely a problem around here, too. And I think people in our community feel fairly safe. You know, I live in a small town. I think we have a population of like 9,500 or something. So, you know, we're kind of out here and we're surrounded by a lot of country. Um, so we haven't had an overwhelming amount of cases here in our county. But there are some still, you know, since the kids went back to school two weeks ago, we've had three positive cases in our high school. So now that the kids are back in school, I make my son come home and take a shower and, you know, do all of that stuff. So I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. That is horrific. I think uh, here in Arizona, our numbers, it felt like a couple weeks ago, our numbers were like, okay, 500 new cases and one or two deaths. And now they're starting to get into the 1,500 cases yesterday and 22 more deaths. And it's like, oh, gosh. Because um, I sometimes look at those numbers and I think, oh, it's not as bad as it was yesterday. And that's a horrible way to look at it whenever you lose 20 human beings, you know, or, or 100 human beings, or I think across the country, we're losing 1,200 a day. Those, those are really sobering, sad numbers. Do you agree? I agree 100%. Um, you know, I haven't gone back to work or found another job because of COVID. You know, my, my transplant team doesn't really want me being around other people too much. So, you know, I've, I've opted to stay home. And thankfully, I was able to, um, when I left work, start receiving social security disability. Um, so, you know, that helps pay the bills, but a job would really be helpful right now too, but it'd have to be something where I could work remotely and I haven't been able to find anything like that yet. So instead during this downtime, I've decided to take myself back to school and, you know, learn a new profession. And hopefully once I'm done with school, things will have calmed down some so that I can get myself a good job. I'm so glad that you mentioned that. That's another place where you and I have something in common. You and I were both good students in high school, but for whatever reason, we decided to take a little time off after high school. And I think we both had the impression of, hey, I'll be there in another year or two. It'll be, no, you know, college isn't going anywhere. And then life happens, right, Lisa? And before you know it, 
you've gone 20 years and you know all your friends have degrees and, and you're sitting there thinking I'm undereducated or not as educated as I'd like to be so the other day I go on Facebook and I notice that you're starting to go through some home education to improve your skills and knowledge base and I wanted you to know that I was very proud of you because I think that's exceptionally scary what what has held you back from doing that sooner were you always kind of reluctant to do it because it is hard to go back to school when you've been out for so long it is hard to go back and it's a little overwhelming for me um, thankfully I'm able to do it all online and I don't have to worry about going to a classroom or you know sitting in a classroom full of 18 20 year olds because that would make me very uncomfortable but um, before I never went back because I was lucky to have fallen into a career um, and to work very hard and work my way up in a career where I was, you know, it was pretty lucrative, but it's what I was doing was kind of highly specialized and there just aren't a lot of positions open for that job. And, um, you know, I've searched across the country and I found one open position and they want someone with like 15 years experience, which I didn't have. So, you know, it kind of got me out of that one, but um, I had to find something that I knew would always be needed. And I wasn't quite sure what that was going to be. I thought about counseling, um, but that, I, my family said I'm too soft-hearted for counseling or social work because I would just cry all the time, which is probably true. So I opted to go another route and you know, human resources is a position where you can still help people. I, uh, you know, I had great human resource people at my last job who helped me through so many problems, um, you know, walked me through the steps of what I needed to do to take care of myself and my family through, you know, this illness that I had. And it was a big help, whether they know it or not. And I've told them repeatedly, you know, um, but it was a huge help to have them. And if I can impact somebody like that, that would make me happy. That sounds beautiful. And speaking of beautiful, I see this biblical passage that's uh, up there above and behind you. Just for, uh, just for fun, Lisa, would you read that out loud for us? I think it's beautiful. Uh, love is patient. Love is kind. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. First Corinthians. What, what's the, what's the, where is that from? First Corinthians. What? Yeah, First Corinthians. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. Um, I wanted to share something with you, and I hate to uh, bring this up, and I was going to do it off the air, but you know what? This is Jesse Jameson and friends, and I'm hoping to reconnect with a lot of friends from high school and even grade school uh, with this podcast. You had mentioned somebody that I had completely lost track of through the years, Ron Bethsold. Um, I wanted to let all the people at home know that we, we lost Ron Bethsold. I guess uh, they had his funeral October 31st. He apparently was a hiker. He went hiking, and I don't know if he got stuck in the heat or what, but apparently Ron Bethsold graduated uh, from Greenway in class of 95 with the rest of us, but he is, uh, he's no longer with us. So I just want to say, Ron... You are forever a friend of Jesse Jameson and friends. We love and miss you, and uh, you are in our thoughts. And I believe that uh, I believe death is uh, just a doorway, and that we will all see one another again. Lisa, I'm sorry I had to share that with you, but I felt like I was sharing it with not only you but with others that might listen. 
Um, I'm 44. I think you're in my same uh, age range, right? 43, 44-ish. And um, you know, I wish we could all live to be 100 or 200, but you know, life is, is short. We have 30 seconds left. Can you tell us uh, what the future holds for you and the family and your thoughts are? Um, you know, I expect to have a long and healthy marriage with my husband, watch my kids grow up, graduate high school, get married. All of this thanks to the kindness of someone I don't even know. Um, you know, I'm a big proponent of donate life, you know, mark that check mark on your license. It means more than you could ever imagine to someone in my position. I have my life back. That makes me so happy, Lisa. You mean a lot to me. We would love to know here at Jesse Jameson and friends that in the future, would, would you maybe come back on and share another story? Because we would love that. Can we count on you to come, come again and visit us again in the future? Sure. That'll be awesome. So to everybody at home, join us again next week. Lisa, once again, thank you so much. And thank you at home for listening to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Thank you for joining us again for another episode of Jesse Jameson and Friends. We hope you had as much fun as we did. Be sure to tune in again next week for another great story. Jesse Jameson and Friends is heard every Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. Jesse Jameson and Friends is a proud presentation of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. All rights reserved. <laughs>